RingCentral are the leading cloud communications and collaboration solution for today's workforce. RingCentral integrates your team messaging, video meetings and business phone into one application, so your team can do more together from anywhere. For a free trial, visit ringcentral.com.au. RingCentral, communications reimagined. Welcome to the Employees Matter podcast where we bring you the latest information to help business owners, entrepreneurs and managers manage their team through COVID-19 and beyond. Listen in as we share leading edge information with experts across a variety of fields, from HR to legal, to negotiation to mental health and so much more to help you not just survive, but thrive through the pandemic. And now here's your host, Natasha Hawker. Esther Bergen is one of Employee Matters senior recruitment experts and advisor to businesses experiencing recruitment challenges. Having worked both in Australia and in the UK, where she ran her own recruitment business, she brings a wealth of knowledge and creative thinking to her work with clients to help them achieve the best results, even in the toughest of markets. Esther is particularly passionate about the desire for balance of remote and office space working by candidates. And you are going to love this interview with Esther Bergen. One of the themes that we're seeing being played out as a result of COVID is restructuring, redundancy and unfair dismissals. As some businesses are having to reset, pivot, cut costs and in some very sad cases, shut completely. But one of the big and I must say very pleasant surprises for me is the sharp rebound in recruitment, which to me means that some businesses at least are bouncing back. I am thrilled to introduce you to one of our senior uh, recruitment experts based out of Sydney, Esther Bergen. Hi, Esther. How are you? Hi, Natasha. Yes, I'm good. Thank you. Good, good. I'm really looking forward to this uh, chat um, and I'm really keen to hear what you're seeing happening in the recruitment space. But before we get into all of that, how did you end up where you are today from when I was doing the research for this, as I do, a geography major at university in the UK to recruitment in Australia? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I studied human geography in the UK, which I loved because it was just so relevant to everything around us. It has fingers in economics, sociology, politics and biology. So when you think of it in that context and the movement and migration of people for work and the geographic impact of that, then I I guess it makes some kind of sense that I've ended up on the other side of the world helping entrepreneurs and business owners realize their business objectives through the creation of considered and effective recruitment plans and helping them to hire the best talent they can afford. Um, I've also run my own recruitment business in London and I have a background in marketing, which helps hugely when working with clients on recruitment marketing initiatives, uh, be that tactical activities or what I've called the long-term recruitment game, which is a more of a strategic discussion about how you meet your recruitment objectives as a business and uh, can include how you build your profile as an employer in the candidate market. It's Look, it's there's so much in that which I do want to unpack. But first of all, let's look at what do you love about what you you do and what frustrates you? Uh, I really, really enjoy working with business owners to get under the skin of their operation and make a real difference to how and who they are recruiting. Mm. I work very much as an extension of their team, providing advice at a strategic level, getting clarity on their overarching recruitment goals, and then putting in place a plan for them to achieve that. 
I think um, I'm pretty good at working out what's what's going on and what's going wrong pretty quickly. Um, it's quite an intuitive process for me. So as you get to know a business and the challenges, some things become very evident and it's clear that sometimes other issues need addressing before we even start talking about recruitment. And I think that's one of the things I really admire with you, Esther, and I think that's one of the things that we see happen when you're dealing with your clients. Your intuition is very good and often the problem the client thinks they're trying to solve isn't necessarily the problem they're trying to solve. That's 100% right. You know, yeah. and I'm a, I'm a straight talker, Natasha, yeah. as you know. Yeah. And, and on the whole, business owners tend to respect that approach. Yes. Um, Sometimes they might go off and have a little cry, but I always get the call back to say, <laughs> okay, I've got over that now. Let's, um, let's catch up again. Let's get, I'll get back on my seat and let's get going and, and get to the work. Um, just moving on to what frustrates me, yes. um, procrastination and denial. Yes. Um, so when business owners see what they need to do, but they don't for whatever reason make the changes, yeah. uh, I just know they'll be back in 12 months time if not before um in the meantime of course they'll probably have made a few more recruitment mistakes yeah uh, and that will of course impact their growth and bottom line as these things do um just in terms of other things that that i find frustrating uh and you're very aware of this um just in terms of dealing with that sort of small to medium size um business owners i don't think that new employees are necessarily set up for success, for success that well mm. and I talk a lot to clients about that you know are we setting this are we setting this candidate up for success um, as you know um, employees are at their greatest risk of leaving yes. within the first six months of joining a business and that you know this happens for two reasons and that's firstly that, that the role wasn't clearly defined in the first place or they've been missold a role at the beginning of the process that resembles little to the one they end up performing and that, that commonly happens with newly created positions. Um, and secondly, is the onboarding process just isn't there to give the, those new employees the best chance of succeeding. So both you and I see it time and time again. Yes. Um, and it's mostly the recruiter, actually, that gets the finger pointed at them for not finding the right person. Yes. I've had a number of conversations over the last week um, where it's been the recruiter's not got it right, the recruiter's not got it right. And and when you dig deeper, you realize it's actually not really that at all. That, that recruiter may not have been having the same conversation as I'm then having in that meeting, but it goes a lot deeper than the recruiter's not got it right. Um, so, yes, we're it's coaching it, clients all the time on that. And, and it's one of those things where very few people are actually taught how to recruit or interview. They just learn as they go. And then I think what I, what I've been frustrated with over the years is that, you know, we find a person, a job and everyone's like, yay, we've got a new bod. And then they sort of sit them at a desk and I think expect them to learn via osmosis. You know, they're really, uh, to your point, are not set up for success. They don't understand the business in, in its entirety. They don't understand what success looks like. They don't understand what they're trying to achieve. And so it makes it a very disheartening and often they've left a position where they're been hugely successful and and now they're in that state of no man's land so yeah we're going to get into that more um 
I just want to touch on this because I think this is so relevant to other parts of the podcast that we're talking about around that population. I'm calling it decentralization. Some of our listeners may also find it very interesting to know that you, Esther, and the family have been one of the former Sydney siders, one from the northern beaches, my end of town, uh, that has moved out. Tell us about that decision. What was the appeal to move to the country? Yeah, so it's it's fairly raw as we've only moved in January to the beautiful yeah. town of Bellingen on the mid-north coast of New South Wales. So the appeal for us was probably three things. Um, firstly, the desire for space. Uh, I have three boys whom I love dearly, of course, but who come without any volume control. <laughs> and, and the benefit from being in nature with space to roam and no immediate neighbours is obviously um, critical for us. Uh, second, secondly was schooling, so after researching our local options on the northern beaches, I was really struggling to find anywhere that delivered the type of education that we wanted for our children at a mm. price that felt like good value for money. Mm. Um, we have great options here, both primary and high school, and you can even do your pilot's license as part of your HSC at wow. one of the local schools here. So there are, the variety and affordability of schooling was a real pull. Yeah. Um, Lastly, I just wanted a different experience for my family. Um, we've lived in London and Sydney and in quite lovely areas. And I was keen for us to experience a different lifestyle with a broader demographic. Some of my children are adjusting to that more quickly than others. Um, one's just missing the malls. Um, yeah. <laughs> but I, Would that but be I, the oldest one? No, that's oh. the middle one. Ah. No, no, he's just uh, totally in at year seven new group of friends and he's flying along uh, but my middle one who's joined to school at year five which is more tricky yeah and um, he's yeah he's he's struggling a little bit why have you brought us here but you know I know that in the end um it will make a difference to the type of people they become in the long run yeah. uh you're more at the mercy of nature here it rained almost relentlessly for the first month that we were here which lost its appeal um, <laughs> after a little while. And the river was flooded, meaning that school was closed. Uh, so, you know, there are many lessons and experiences for us all that we wouldn't commonly experience in the city. So Resilience might be one of those. That's it. That's it. I'm also, you know, pretty fortunate that from a work perspective, we have a fully functioning remote, you know, working model. So this move was very seamless for me. Um, with kind of planned periodic trips back to sort of Sydney and elsewhere in Australia when I need to, you know, be in mm. other places. So from that yeah. perspective, it's, it's, as I say, it's been seamless. Brilliant. Brilliant. I think there's more and more people doing it. They're, they're, you know, every second street I look at, there's another house up for sale and I suspect they're going out of Sydney. I know, I know five families um, from here that have all moved from the from the Northern beaches wow. over this period in the last three months. That's massive, isn't it? That's massive, just even within your network. So um, as I said in the introduction, you know, we've seen a massive increase in recruitment over the last couple of months. Uh, you know, I recall back in February, it just fell off a cliff. It just overnight, the, top, the taps got turned off. What are you seeing? So from a, from a recruitment activity perspective, I'm mm. seeing that there is lots happening. Lots of businesses are recruiting across many different sectors um, and nationally across all states. So, in fact, we, you know, we we as a business didn't really stop for Christmas this year and the January school holidays. So you which came is back unusual. to work. You were meant to be packing up to leave, oh, and no. you were working. And I was working. So we just literally kept going all the way through. So clients wanted um, 
still needed that recruitment support. So we were obviously there to kind of provide that for them. That's really unusual. Normally it just sort of everything just goes to sleep and then we all get back on board, you know, at the beginning of February and that was just not the case at all. If we look at uh, job ad numbers on Seek, we're Mm. actually up 6.5% nationally on this time last year, which is interesting because this prior to COVID having any major impact on our lives at that point. So that's actually a great number. Mm. Um, I also just want to talk about what I'm seeing from a a candidate perspective, Mm, which sort of might have changed. So I'm noticing that stability, security and flexibility are the kind of current key drivers for candidates. Um, so thinking about how you meet that as an employer in your discussions with candidates is a good one to keep top of mind. Um, remote working is now very common and is mm. something that employees have enjoyed and many post-COVID wish to continue in some form, maybe not mm. all the time, but in some form. Hybrid. Hybrid. Um, I'm seeing clients lose out on great candidates because they're unwilling or unable to entertain a remote working element on an, an ongoing basis so an employee's let, working week so yeah. if i play that back so what i'm hearing you saying there is that we did it because of covid but now we've got candidates that are actually asking for it on an ongoing basis where there isn't a requirement from a covid perspective and the clients are reverting to the traditional model and losing out that's right mm, interesting yeah um, you know, you can you can now there's a, there's a new section on Seek, um, so you can actually search search for remote jobs as well. So it's now yeah. like it's something that's here to stay. Yeah. Um, and we've had a taste as um, employees, we've had a taste of what that's like. And so, you know, some people have loved it. Some people really didn't enjoy it. Um, some people obviously had that sort of struggle of kind of kids being at home at the time. But actually, I think a balance. You know, that as you say, that kind of hybrid approach at least having the option for that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I've seen it, you know, I've seen some organisations that have managed it beautifully and found a really good balance between um, office and home working. Can you give me an example, Esther? And, and if you don't want to use the name of the business, but give me an example of that. Uh, SCI Insurance. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, they're doing okay. it really, really well. So there's several days that they can come in. They have a fantastic culture actually as well so I think people also want to be in their want to be in the office they've got a beautiful kind of breakout spaces they've got it they're just very well set up he does food as well and I read something that some article this morning that employees want food more than flexibility oh really free food yeah yeah breakfast bars they're in so he does all of that yeah Mm. so um but it's also been I think just really open-minded about and in touch with uh what his employees want and I think if you are able to do that, obviously it's very difficult in some professions to be able to do that, but if you're able to accommodate that, then for me, I just think, why wouldn't you do that if that's a really meaningful benefit to yeah. your employees? Even if you trial it, you know, for those people who are a little risk averse, say to your employee, all right, well, let's do this for three months. Here's what I'm expecting. These are the KPIs that I need you to meet and see how it goes. The, yeah. You know, the candidate or the employee in this case they have a, a really compelling reason to make this work. And I think you'll probably get way more out of them than other employees. Definitely. You know, I guess the other thing that I'm seeing is that, and we, you know, we might talk more about this, but um, is that some businesses 
are having to compete in really tough markets for candidates. So mm-hmm. that fight is is real for a good number of clients that we work with, um, and where where we are tending to do that big picture recruitment planning and that strategic work, because these problems aren't going away anytime soon. So that's mm-hmm. a sort of ongoing, um, but it's still very much there. Do you see estimates across all industries, or are there specific industries that are booming? In terms of the businesses that we work with, Employee Matters, I'm seeing growth and confidence in construction, in allied health, uh, and health services more broadly. Financial services, tech-based businesses, and real estate and property also Mm -hmm. remain strong for us. Uh, When I look at the SEEK figures, hospitality and trades and services has made a huge comeback from where we were mid last year. Uh, with chefs and restaurant managers topping the leaderboard in Victoria, Queensland and New South Wales as the fastest growing roles, some of them up over 300%. I know. I wouldn't have picked that. I know. I know. Um, Also, you know, government investment in infrastructure has also fueled some growth in construction Mm. and trades as well. Mm-hmm. which you would expect to see. What about market confidence um, as you're talking to your clients? What are you seeing happening there? I'm seeing a lot of confidence and optimism from business owners, uh, small to medium-sized businesses, who are looking at an expanding. Uh, and I think They're spending you know, money. They really spending, are spending money. Not just replacing staff members that have moved on. They're actually building their businesses. They're long-term planning the structure of their business. They're identifying who they need and when. Uh, and when they need them and you know with timelines so I see that as a great indicator that we're heading in a positive direction this will vary from state to state of course all depending on on how badly they've been impacted by COVID Uh, but I'm seeing investment happening from external sources in the banks which gives us a broader picture of economic Mm. confidence which is great Mm. all in all you know there really is lots of great news in the world of the world of recruitment we're expanding our team too to accommodate the demand Mm. from clients and we're definitely observing business becoming more resilient in the face of, of a pandemic. I think, you know, that's been a great lesson learned for businesses is we can pivot and we can do things differently and we can be successful at it. I think we get complacent to change, you know, when you know it's been working that way for so long, let's just keep working it that way, which, you know, I think this has really helped to reinvigorate that entrepreneurial business driver you know, change is good rather than change is bad. What about in the recruitment industry? I, I you know, even from my old days, and I go back to the early 90s, I have to say, as, um, as an ex-recruiter, we used to talk about tight applicant markets. What's that? A tight applicant market essentially means there just isn't the supply of candidates with the right blend of skills, experience and qualifications Mm. in the market to meet the demand. So current examples of this include the situations we find in healthcare, medical and the legal profession. Uh, A combination of factors have kept the talent pool in these professions very small. And because of that, employers work extra hard to keep their staff uh, there. Um, and that can mean, you know, less movement between organisations as well. So, of, of, of course, this has been compounded by border closures, mm-hmm. meaning that the usual influx of people from overseas, particularly of medically skilled candidates, just hasn't happened. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, in some industries, that was that's a situation that was already ma- that was already hard just made even more difficult because I remember we were talking last year with one of our clients you uh, you were off to the UK potentially last year and we were going to go and do some recruitment for them over in the UK but then COVID hit 
So that put an end to that. But, you know, there is a number, there are a number of employees. I was speaking to a guy in insurance today who's just saying, I just cannot find good people. It's just so hard at the moment. It really is. So let's talk about some of the common mistakes and maybe with that in mind about how difficult it is. What are the common mistakes you're seeing businesses making when it comes to their recruitment approach? I think um, the majority tend to be uh, short-term tactical focused rather than on the long-term, what what are my objectives? So you really need to put a plan in place and implement that with excellence. So Mm -hmm. they're too focused on that um, short-term view rather than that kind of long-term plan. Uh, The lack of onboarding and setting up new hires for success, as I mentioned before, Uh, not understanding that their employees and ex-employees are talking to their friends in the candidate market and posting on job boards about their experience of working for an organisation. Like glass door. Like that. And seek do it now as well. Mm. Um, And the impact that that has on the the success of any future recruitment that they might undertake. So that could be hugely damaging and have a long-term impact to the success and growth of your business. Mm. Um, Other mistakes... There's a lack of consistency in recruitment process. So the assessment of candidates is rarely fair and equitable. Mm. Um, we see hiring managers who've never had any training and how to interview someone, um, which can lead to a poor experience for the candidate and a yep. substandard end, res- end result for the client. Um, not taking the time to get clarity up front on what the role is and how this is defined. And this invariably leads to problems down the track. And we talked about that a little bit earlier, just in terms of, about those those sort of new hires, those people that have recently joined the organisation. If, if you haven't got clarity at the beginning of the process, then that person is it ends up performing a different role to the one that they're promised and then they ultimately can leave. And so you have to start the whole process again. Yeah. Um, you know, finally, just on those points and maybe kind of looping back um, with that previous question, uh, not not giving enough focus to the candidate experience is pretty mm. critical, um, particularly in a tight market, and improving um, and providing you know considered and helpful feedback to candidates who've invested in the t- the time and effort to research Massively. your business, and most likely attend an interview uh, in person at your premises. This is actually I can't really believe I'm sort of still talking about it because it's a huge problem. It's a known problem in our industry, mm. which doesn't seem to be getting improving despite the awareness of the issue. Mm. Um, but, but candidate experience, and we might come on to this, is, is actually becoming more and more critical, as is employee experience. So um, we have a responsibility if we, and this is this long-term view, we have a responsibility as business owners and, and um, hiring managers to ensure that, that the experience is a positive one, even for unsuccessful, unsuccessful candidates so when you say quiet the candidate experience tell me what would make a candidate have a great experience versus a poor experience so i think they have um or depending on whether they're using a recruiter or not or they're directly mm-hmm. going to that might kind of like vary a little bit but they've got clarity on what the opportunity is mm-hmm. uh, so they know the role they know where they're going they know who they're meeting they've got a bit of background um so they're sort of they're set up well They'll have gone off and done their own kind of research, obviously. But um, and then at the at the interview stage, they are they are made to feel welcome. Mm-hmm. Um, there's lots of different interview techniques out there, and um, I'm more in favour of some than others. Um, but I think we need to 
make sure that the candidate goes away with the feeling of that was a positive experience for them. So um, they, were, they would have been welcomed. They um, would have been given the opportunity to talk about their experience in a way that meets the objectives, the, the, you know, the criteria for the role. Mm. So sometimes, uh, and I think I talk about, we might talk about this a little bit later, um, interviews, uh, interviews can sometimes be the interviewer talking most of the time and the yes. candidate not really given the opportunity to even really talk about their experience. So it's getting that balance right. Um, 80 the, 20. Yes, and that the candidate ultimately kind of like leaves feeling like that they've been heard, they've yes. been given the kind of opportunity, they've answered the questions that relate to the role and that they know then what the next steps will be and when they're likely to hear from someone. And if they've not been successful, that they know why they've not been successful because mm. it's hugely helpful to candidates to know what what it actually, was it something in the interview that they said or, or, or you know, was it something, was it that they didn't present themselves, you know, they just didn't dress appropriately or what was it because then that candidate takes that to their next interview and they've taken that on board. So it's just a, it's a, it's a kind of learning process and a, you know, a giving process as much as a, a sort of an interview for the, for the hiring manager. Absolutely. And, and look, it can leave a great impression. And I always used to say on the candidate side, even if you go in there and you realise very quickly in the interview, the job is not for you, you still give it your best shot because you never know what other jobs are sitting behind there that they're thinking about you and you do, for that role and you don't even know it. So never go in there and deliberately sabotage an interview. Always give it your best shot is what I used to tell people. And we also, if you're, if you're um, operating in a tight market as well, then a candidate might not have enough experience. They might essentially be a good fit, but they just might not be right for you right now. And yeah. so you might want to be speaking to that candidate in a year's time, two years time. And mm. if they've had not a great experience, then they won't be coming back to you. So yeah. it's having that long-term view as well yeah. as to, okay, they might not be right for now. Who are, who are they talking to when they've left this meeting? Yes. What's the feedback that they're giving? Because people, people do talk and people share and there was lots of platforms that enable them to do that. So there's many eyes that are watching and I think everyone just needs to be, um, and it's not difficult to do, actually, it's mm. not difficult to do, but clear about what a good candidate experience looks like. Good. Good. What about the challenges and opportunities that you're seeing for businesses at the moment, Esther? So I think there's there's many challenges to getting recruitment right, or depending on your starting point. Um, we have some clients that are all are all over it and are totally on the front foot and keen mm -hmm. to engage in a discussion about what more they can be doing to strengthen their position and reputation in the market. And we have others that just aren't there yet, and we need to start mm -hmm. at the foundations and work up from there. Um, I think we need a paradigm, sh a paradigm shift from mm. clients and business owners to think about the work experience for employees um, and is that a meaningful and positive one? And if not, what do we need to change to address that? Mm. So, you know, finding good candidates in a tight market is the most common challenge I deal with um, on a daily basis. And I'm speaking with clients um, every day to work out strategies to meet those challenges. Mm. The, the opportunity here um, is that when we think about it in that way, we can really start to shape our organisation as a business owner and create an environment that is truly attractive to candidates. Um, that, that obviously requires some deep thinking, 
some research and analysis and then putting a plan into place to make some change. Mm. Um, so some organizations are really progressive. I have one lovely allied health client who described themselves as over-recruited in speech pathologists, which is almost an oxymoron, yes. but goes to show you that the seemingly impossible is actually possible if you're prepared to make the changes you need. And what sort of changes did they make to get those results? They are very much about the um, experience of employees. Um, they're very focused. Um, you know, we work with them both from a, from a HR perspective as well as recruitment. They are all over their employee value proposition. They know what that is. They've done the research. They monitor their staff regularly, or not monitor, they survey their staff, sorry, regularly mm. um, to ask them, you know, what is it, you know, how we're we doing in this particular area? What could we be doing better? So, so they're kind of, they are interested to know um, how they can be a better employer. And then they put in place uh, the things that enable them to do that. Are you happy to share their name? Yeah, that's uh, Peninsula Speech. Mm -hmm. um, uh, Peninsula Speech Plus, I think, to give yeah. them their full name. So, yes, we've done some work with them around their um, employer uh, branding, profile building, um, social media, uh, putting together a social media plan for them. So, and, you know, that's, that's, that's very progressive, I think, you know. So I want to stop you there because I'm keen to hear about that social media plan because I don't think, small businesses and mediums know medium businesses have that really nailed tell us what that social media plan looks like for someone like peninsula speech so the process we went to went through so we took their evp and they had already done that work um and so we were able to take that and the results of the various sort of surveys that they had performed and you know, put that um, basically into a plan for the year. So there were kind of generic things in there. So, you know, how do we, how do we celebrate birthdays? Mm. Um, how do we celebrate? There were, there were various kind of headlines that we kind of like, we, we, or sort of themes that we grouped things together. Um, you know, how do we celebrate uh, new people joining? How do we celebrate, you know, weddings or, or, or big moments mm. in people's lives? You know, how do we do that? And, and actually really personalizing that and not mm. making it generic. Um, we also talked about, uh, we also looked at um, the things they valued as an organization. And that became another theme. Um, we also did those, you know, specific kind of days of the year where, where uh, on, on the calendar, particularly in allied health, it might be kind of like National Autism Day, might be mm -hmm. National Spurges Day, you know, it became, um, you know, ways in which they could uh, put out there their, what they were doing internally in their business mm. onto a, um, you know, onto Facebook and Instagram, onto those sort of social platforms. So it wasn't necessarily had, it didn't necessarily have the specific um, uh, sort of purpose of I'm putting a job ad on, I want to recruit someone. But what it's doing is it's giving a window a great uh, in, a, in, a, in a considered way. It's giving mm. a window. We were quite creative about kind of how we divided all of those, you know, different themes up. Um, um, to see what, what, you know, what it is like, you know, and they're constantly building. They're, they're not, when I talk about, to clients about EVP, it's not something that's set, that's set in stone because it's constantly evolving as people change, as businesses change. It's something that you need to be looking at on an ongoing basis. And once you've got your framework 
set up at the beginning, that's not that difficult to do. That makes it easy. How do you think recruitment has changed over the years in terms of process? Uh, so there's there's much more automation and artificial mm. intelligence used in the search process, which mm. I think has its place when you're talking about volume recruitment. Um, it is, of course, less human, and I see recruitment as an intuitive process. Uh, I'm yet to be convinced how good machines are with emotional intelligence. Um, whilst AI does have its place, I don't see it as being a total recruitment solution. Mm. From a job search perspective, almost everyone is looking for jobs on their phones these days. So we need to be really mindful of that when we're creating and posting job ads. Um, We need to move our thinking more towards less text and more bullet points, Mm. but be super clear about the opportunity. Remember, this Mm. is a market. Remembering that this is a marketing exercise. Mm. Um, The rise of social media has been significant, be that Facebook, LinkedIn or Instagram. Yes, what is it? If you're not on LinkedIn, you don't exist. Yeah, which are all now part of the kind of mainstream recruitment marketing tools used to promote opportunities and businesses as places to work. Obviously, um, since COVID, there's been a move to virtual interviews, screening and onboarding, especially with the rise in remote working. Uh, This obviously requires some new thinking and processes and ensures candidates are set up from the beginning and managed properly in this new way of working. Mm. You know, more recently, I mean, we, we do our kind of our sort of top trends for the year from a recruitment mm. perspective. And there's, there's definitely uh, more of a focus on inclusion and diversity as employers see this as a driver for employee engagement. When we're looking at what's attractive to employees, mm. uh, that's definitely kind of in there. Um, and there's, there's, there's been a move away from the candidate doing all the selling and the business owner or hiring okay. manager having all the power in the recruitment process. So that's really significant. Um, it's very much the other way around these days, not in all cases, but especially in industries where there are skill shortages or limited candidates, the shoe is on entirely the other foot and we need to just adjust our approach accordingly, I think, as, um, as when we're hiring. Which is a great segue into um, we have been doing or you have been doing a lot, Esther, in the allied health space. What's driving that? Uh, Changes to uh, NDIS funding a few years ago have meant that individuals in the community who've needed support from an allied health practitioner, like a speech pathologist or an OT, now have the funds to do so. Mm. So um, that's essentially led to a huge demand for this type of therapy. uh, And there simply aren't enough qualified practitioners to meet the demand. There's another issue here, of course, because it's really that simple. Um, Mm. And it involves the high burnout rate in these professions. So practitioners tend to be female on the whole. And many are juggling work and managing families. And the business models of these organizations quite often, not in all cases, don't meet the needs of those individuals. Rigid? They're too rigid? It's, uh, well, I've heard of unrealistic KPIs yeah. and a really tight focus on billable hours. So sometimes at the expense of client care. So some are leaving the profession because they they really don't feel that they can give their clients the level of care that they need in the time that they get allocated. Mm. Um, so some are run very much as a you know as a commercial operation yeah. um, where where the care of the individuals, whilst they might say that that sits at the heart of their business, isn't necessarily always the truth. Mm. Um, so. 
you know, uh, there, there are many great organisations out there that don't operate in that way at all. Uh, we tend to work with all of those. Yeah. Uh, Too hard know, not to. No, the, the situation isn't helped, uh, of course, by the, um, the associated professional bodies mm. of these professions who don't make it easy for returning mums to enter the profession, to re-enter the profession. So they need to have maintained a certain number of clinical hours over a specific period um, where they might have been raising a family. So yeah. once your time has lapsed, it's difficult to get back in. Um, and of course, you know, some of my clients tell me how difficult it is, especially in speech pathology, to become a locally accredited practitioner mm. if you are moving from overseas. So obviously, mm. you know, COVID aside, um, it really is the perfect storm. I was speaking to one client yesterday who tells me that since COVID, they have halved the number of uni places wow. um, as well. So there are less uni places, less people coming in from, over, from overseas. Um, there's a huge demand in the markets and there's just not the people on the ground. Um, one so of incredibly others. competitive. Incredibly competitive. The client that I was speaking with yesterday who we're doing um, – some EVP work with uh, her she's looking for a speech pathologist in Queensland and, and speech pathology sits at the number one hardest job to fill in Queensland at the moment oh no that's going to be toughy which is a great way to ask this because we've touched on it before and I've held it back EVP people will be sitting there going what the hell is an EVP what is an EVP and why is it important so EVP is short for employee value proposition, um, which is the exchange that happens between the employer and the employee in recognition of the employee's contribution to the overall success of the business. Mm. So put simply, an EVP is everything a business does to attract and to retain its employees. Um, at, its, at its heart, it's the answer to the employee or the candidate's question, what's in it for me? Yeah. So when I break it down, the component parts sort of fall into kind of five general uh, groups. So first, compensation. So, you know, essentially all financial rewards and superannuation. Secondly, you know, benefits, perks and rewards. Thirdly, career development. So the opportunity to develop yourself and your career within the organization, the opportunity to do that. Uh, the work environment, fourthly. So the physical environment in which this person will work. And finally, company culture. So the, the, the people, um, the people they work with, and how that and how the company operates. Mm. Just in terms of why it's important and what difference it can make, um, a compelling EVP can make a huge difference to your success in both recruiting and retaining uh, talented employees, especially if you're recruiting in a tight market where you're you're literally all competing for the same candidates. It, gives, it can give you a competitive advantage uh, in a tight market. It allows you to market your goals and values and differentiate your offering from other organizations, which is key. It elevates your employer brand, so making your organization more attractive to potential employees. And it reduces your rec recruitment costs long term, which is nice, uh, and improves your ability to hire quality candidates quickly. You know, on the, on the other side of that, it's also critical in driving uh, positive employee relations, which builds engagement and staff retention. So it's that yeah. retention piece as much exactly. as the recruitment piece. The, the most of the work, I mean, you know, I, I'm working in recruitment, but most of that, the EVP work that we're doing at the moment is driven by recruitment. Yeah. Um, but it's, it's, you know, it's got a foot in both camps, 100%.
Mm. And, you know, as I was reflecting there, I'd ask everyone who's listening, you know, when Esther went through that list, I'm pretty sure most of you can say, I don't think I learned any of that when I went to my last interview. And, and that's the problem, you know, that businesses can't articulate their employee value proposition, which is a big issue. Um, and one of the other things that we might see if we can find and pop up in the show notes, Esther, after this is you've developed a, a recruitment genius model, which is all the components that need to fit into to recruitment. And we'll share that with people if they want to have a look at that. Here's another little tool in our um, arsenal. What is Harrison's assessment and why do you use it for clients? So it's basically a psychometric assessment. The candidate completes a short questionnaire and we develop profiles at the back end based on the the key criteria for the role and the traits required to perform that role successfully. We tend to split those up into essential and desirable and it's completely tailored. Mm. So we have a lot of scope to manipulate it so that it's as close a representation to the actual role as possible. What it gives us is an overall job suitability score as a percentage, and it also breaks down all those traits so that we can see upfront what issues we might have or what we might need to question further in an interview or in reference checking. Mm. Uh, we use them all the time. Uh, it provides another layer of insight at a pretty low cost, and just adds that extra layer of intelligence to the recruitment process to ensure that you're making the best decision you can with the information that you have. And that you know what you're getting to a certain extent rather than working uh, it out over six months. Totally. So they can also be used to identify potential issues yeah. where the candidate might need some scaffolding and as a management tool, as you yeah. say. Yeah. yeah. And Kathy is our uh, resident expert in that space and she's doing some great work in that area and it. You know, I always use the example with me, you know, give me an Excel spreadsheet and I I just shake my head. I can do it, but it's not where I'm happiest. Give me a microphone, like a podcast, and I'm in heaven. I'm having so much fun and I'll be energized. So knowing that about me and being able to direct me where I'm going to give you the most value as my employer is super important. Okay, we're going to change tack slightly, Esther, because I know that we're in this world of busy lives, you've got to run off and get the kids from school. So um, what makes a great boss in your mind and what can managers do to improve their skills in particular around recruitment? Uh, So we've touched on it a few times. So it's a recurring theme, uh, but I think a great boss takes care to make sure that you're set up well when you join a business. Yeah. Um, This might be from a systems point of view, connecting you with other team members. They make sure you've got all the necessary tools and you're trained properly in how to use them. You know, they're supportive and they're regularly checking in with you to make sure that you've got everything that you need and that there's there's opportunity for two-way feedback during that onboarding process. Hmm. I think, you know, they're also looking for opportunities for your personal growth this is a a great boss Mm. is looking for opportunities for your personal growth and Mm. development and this is critical for your gen z and your millennial employees who really value that person you know personal growth opportunity in the workplace workplace they also recognize and celebrate your achievements in a way that's meaningful to you this is this comes up regularly in um, in our evp work Actually, it's like, how do people want to be recognized for the good work that they do? Um, so, and it's I different think, for everyone. It is. It is. Mm. But I think people do want to be recognized yeah. for that, you know, in some way that is meaningful for them. Uh, so just with regard to improving hiring manager skills in recruitment, I think they need to learn how to write a clear and detailed job description that accurately, accurately reflects the role they are recruiting. 
um, you know, isolating the critical skills and experience required for an em employee to perform that role. Understand, we've touched on this before, that candidate experience is really important. So, you know, working out how best to do that and getting the best out of the interview. We've touched on this as well before, that they need to know that they'll be doing most of the listening and less of the talking. At the appropriate time, they'll also need to sell the opportunity. So candidates often have other interviews happening simultaneously. And if you're recruiting in a tight market, then this is even more critical. So you need to talk about the opportunity in a way that's attractive to candidates. And that I think can not necessarily be given as much attention as it needs. Finally, um, be decisive. Mm -hmm. So many a good candidate has been lost mm -hmm. during the process of procrastination. So be clear about the role you're hiring for, assess the candidate thoroughly for their ability to perform the role and then be decisive if you Make think a decision. you're a good fit for your organisation. Because if you don't, someone else will. Yeah. Um, Esther, that has been incredibly informative and I think that there'll be lots of people out there taking notes and, uh, and it's exciting to see and Australia, I think, has been quite lucky and also well managed in this space, um, you know, to see the rebound and to see that happening from a recruitment point of view and the new COVID world of work, which I keep talking about. If people want to get in touch with you, what's the best way to contact you? So, yeah, you can um, reach me on my email, which is esther.bergen at employeematters.com.au um, or through the main employee matters number which is 02 8021 before we wrap up actually i just wanted to say we've got a giveaway natasha oh, as well for our listeners you're surprising um, me because i didn't know I about know, this. i know i know i love being surprised um so yeah so we're giving away to the first 10 people that contact us a one hour recruitment diagnostic session Ooh. with a follow-up action plan so um that will involve that model session with the recruitment genius uh, model which i just see the pennies dropping for business owners as i as i talk them through that uh, it's a really really useful exercise um and even if you then go off and do those things yourself that's still you know, five steps in the right direction. We'd love to offer that to the 10 first people that contact us. Um, and I look forward to working with whoever that is. Great. So if you want to either call us on that phone number, which is 0280214206 or info at Employee Matters, I can guarantee you because I get, I call our clients and get feedback on Esther and they love their sessions with Esther. They learn a lot and they get incredible clarity and insights from that. So um, highly, highly recommend that uh, for you guys. Esther, thank you so much. Pleasure. It's been, it's been great. great. Now, if you enjoyed this interview, you're also going to enjoy our interview with our resident guru, David Brown, who's going to talk uh, or is talking us through the challenges and also the opportunities of working from home. Um, finally, thanks for listening and remember to subscribe or better still, tell your friends and family about the Employees Matter podcast. I'm Natasha Hawker and remember your employees really do matter. I hope that you've enjoyed today's episode of Employees Matter podcast with Natasha Hawker. For episode notes and other resources, please visit employeematters.com.au forward slash podcast. While you're there, you might like to subscribe for future episodes so you can continue to thrive during the COVID-19 crisis. Please be sure to share this and other episodes with your friends, team and business network. This podcast was proudly brought to you by Ring Central.